You're listening to The Lunar Body, a podcast for feminist menstruators who want to manage their health naturally and supernaturally through nutrition, herbalism, and intuitive expansion using science and the moon as your guides. Hey, hey, welcome to episode four of The Lunar Body. I'm your host, Kristen Ciccolini, period priestess, nutritionist, and the founder of Good Witch Kitchen. I'm a little under the weather as I record this today, so just FYI in case you're wondering why I'm a little raspy, if I start coughing in the middle of everything. Um, fingers crossed it's it's not the big one, but I got tested today, so we shall see. But it really, it just feels like the cold that I usually get this time of year, so I'm taking my vitamin C, my nettle tea, I'm doing everything I can, but in case you're wondering why I sounded a little raspy. I kind of think it sounds a little sexy, but that's that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking about eating as a spiritual practice. Think about the last time you ate. Most likely, you were eating at your desk or while watching TV or scrolling through your phone. Maybe you're eating right now and listening to me. Maybe you often eat as you're running out the door to work or maybe you did that in pre-pandemic times, or you forgot to eat at all while running from one meeting to the next so you inhale an entire day's worth of food when you get home because by the time you get home, you're starving and you're just desperate to get any food at all within you. And how does it feel when you eat that way? Did you get a chance to actually taste your food? Did you enjoy its presentation, its aroma, its texture? Did you chew? Did you breathe? Do you remember doing any of those things? Chewing is a funny one. I bring that up to clients sometimes, especially when they're dealing with bloating issues. I ask if they chew their food and they're like, uh, yeah, of course I chew my food. But when you think about it, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we like give it a couple bites and then inhale it and we don't break it down in our mouths and then our body has to do the breaking down and that's where the bloating can come in. Mealtime presence is a rarity these days. We're usually so distracted with other things that mealtime just becomes a second thought or something we're doing secondary to whatever is in front of us, something for fuel, not for pleasure. Or when we think of food as pleasure, it's usually in the context of a moral judgment, something that makes us bad because it's seen as unhealthy. Eating with that type of energy influences how we feel afterward, and chances are it doesn't feel amazing, right? And maybe you're thinking... Okay, but I'm busy. I'm busy, Kristen. (laughs) I do have back-to-back meetings, and I don't have all the time in the world to just sit and lovingly stare at my food, all right? I get it. And this is where the term wellness can feel inaccessible when it feels like it doesn't apply to your life. And this is a big reason people neglect their spiritual practice, too. They're too busy. It doesn't fit. They don't have all the time in the world to do rituals at every moon phase and re-tarot every morning. Dude. I don't either. (laughs) Most people don't unless they're actual professional witches or really seriously prioritize these things in their lives, which just isn't super realistic for everyone. But that doesn't mean you can't make it realistic, that you can't make it work for you. We make our own realities, right? There are no rules. You can do whatever you want. Do you, dude? I'm very practical with my spiritual practice, so I like to bring that practical aspect in. That's why my business is called Good Witch Kitchen. We can make everyday things like making a cup of tea or putting dinner together something more meaningful. 
When you look at food in a spiritual context, it's easier to make it part of your daily habits. Because you have to eat, right? It's already part of your habits. Might as well add a little magic into the mix. I have a few different ways you can do that today. The first is simply cooking from scratch. And I say simple, not easy, because I know cooking doesn't naturally come to everyone. And even if you all have the same exact recipe, everyone can come out with a different version. It's really interesting, kind of funny to see. I used to teach cooking classes, sometimes two in one day. And it was really interesting to see how the morning group made these spectacular, perfect cover shot of a cookbook, chocolate chip cookies, and then the evening group burnt them to a crisp. (laughs) And I taught the same classes regularly and, you know, I could see how different groups would make them. And one week they would take a lasagna recipe and nail it. And then the next time it would be just a complete soupy mess. It's like, you know, the nailed it TV show, um, the nailed it version of nailed it. Like it was bad sometimes. (laughs) So it's some people just can't follow a recipe and that's that. So that's why I say simple not necessarily easy. But whichever side you fall on, it's okay. The more you do it, the better you'll get. And it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be Instagram worthy, as long as it tastes good. And you don't have to make these elaborate meals either. You can start small, something like a five ingredient meal. So you don't have to buy a bunch of things or a one pan meal to save you some cleaning time. So you can Google things with those words in the title. And I really like Minimalist Baker for both of those things. And we prepare ourselves for rituals. But this daily one that we all have, this one thing that we do multiple times a day, we tend to do it without thinking too hard about it. But cooking from scratch can be just as sacred a ritual as any. And whether you do it for every meal, one meal a day, one meal a week, again, there are no rules, whatever works for you. If you meal prep, you already have a ritual around this practice. You follow your process and you make it happen. My steps are figuring out the recipes, plotting them out on a calendar, or in my case, a spreadsheet, because Virgo. I shot my cabinets first because I hate going to the grocery store and then finding when I came home that I already had that thing and I just spent money that I didn't need to spend. So I always shop the cabinets first and then shop the rest of my list at the actual grocery store. And then I prep. And I teach a whole workshop on this. If you ever want me to do that for you, I'd love to hear from you if that's something you want. I could talk about meal prep all day. But meal prep is a very practical way to bring a ritual into your practice. Another way you can incorporate more spirit into the mix is your own energy. That's the most powerful part of any ritual. And as much as I love sparkly crystals and pendulums and candles at the very basis of any of that is your own energy. And when you cook your food in your home, your personal energy is infused into it and you have control over that energy and can then infuse intentions into the food as well. But because your personal energy goes into it, your emotional state's important because it'll be reflected in the meal. Think about the last time you put a meal together when you were angry you probably didn't really enjoy it that much, did you? Maybe because you were distracted and you missed a part of the recipe or the chicken came out tough or you threw in too much salt in a huff or maybe you used salt instead of sugar or sugar instead of salt. Been there, done that. It doesn't make for an experience that feels good. You kind of just get it over with and move on because you're feeling dysregulated. But there is so 
so much pleasure to experience with food, and we're lucky to have several opportunities a day to find that. So when you're cooking from scratch, and if you have the time to set aside to try to regulate your mood, you can take some deep breaths before getting started. Try 10 deep breaths, maybe five. You can start with five. I like 10. You can work your way up, whatever feels good. And try it with your eyes closed. If there's trauma associated with breathing, you of course don't have to do this. Maybe your way of shaking it off is putting on some music that you love and literally shaking it off, dance it out. Animals do this to release tension. They shake, they vibrate, and we're animals after all, so give it a try. For me, I actually like quiet when I'm cooking so I can focus on each part, like having a zen moment while I'm slicing vegetables, or I'll catch up on my podcasts or an audiobook. And if you're feeling anxious or distracted, maybe journaling out your thoughts to get them out of your head before you start can help. Do whatever you need to to get in a more positive or at least more neutral mindset. And you can do that and that alone, or you can add another layer and make choosing your ingredients part of the practice too. So you have your own energy and food has its own energy too. Not just its literal energy as in what you get from its calories and nutrients and how it turns into fuel in the body, but its own personality from its lifespan. And this depends on how it was grown, where it was grown, the conditions it was grown in, who took care of it, how it was harvested, when it was harvested. And this is especially important for animal products. Consider how it was raised, fed, and handled as it made its way to your kitchen. The better food was treated, the better it'll taste. And that's not just my opinion. There is science to back it up. And here's a quick physiology lesson for you. When we eat, that food turns into glucose or blood sugar in the bloodstream. And the glucose is shuttled into the cells to use as fuel. And what's left over is stored in the muscles as glycogen. When blood sugar is low or we need to deal with a stressor, the muscles release that glycogen and it's converted back to glucose to go into the bloodstream to raise blood sugar levels. So keep that in mind. In a healthy, unstressed animal, that glycogen converts to lactic acid after it dies, which helps keep the meat tender and flavorful and it maintains its pink color. In a stressed animal, naturally, its stress hormones are released to increase glucose and help the animal deal with stress. So where does that glucose come from? The glycogen stores in the muscles. If it's all used up, then when the animal dies, there's nothing to convert to lactic acid, so you get a tough, flavorless piece of meat. And vegans, please don't come for me. Everyone's body and culture is different, and in this house, we respect everyone's right to choose the food that's right for them. And speaking of which, let's talk about budget. The better an animal is treated, the better it'll taste, yes, but also the more expensive it'll be. So if it's not in your budget to go for the higher quality options, I don't want you to stress about what that energy will bring into your meal. It is out of your control. What's in your control is your intentions and how you handle the food once it's in your hands. And making a delicious meal from scratch that feeds your body and your family and your friends that's a gift. You're still appreciating and honoring the animal and the life that it gave in a way that is in your control. And it's a way to help transmute that energy into something more positive. You can also choose ingredients for specific intentions. I teach a potions with purpose workshop that covers this exact thing, deciding what your intention is for a specific meal and kind of working backwards to figure out what to use in your recipe. 
In culinary nutrition, we like to make our meals work harder for us, so we get strategic about choosing foods and herbs and opt for those that support our intentions, be it health-focused or energetic intentions. For instance, in that Potions with Purpose workshop, we talk about making a hormone-balancing elixir or a self-love potion, (laughs) so it could go different ways. And I have the recipe for that self-love potion on my site. I'll I'll post it in the show notes. It's got rose and hibiscus. It's really good. And you're welcome to browse the recipes on my website too. I always share about the main ingredients and what they support in the body so you can learn more about how certain foods work and how they help us. Another way or another layer you can add to this is to eat seasonably and sustainably. So my vegan friends, this is your version of what I talked about earlier about the better your food is treated, the better it'll taste. And it goes for produce as well because seasonally available foods aren't sitting around for a while and they maintain their nutrients and big flavor. And it also goes for the people who harvested the fruits and vegetables. Their well-being is important too, and it's often left out of the conversation about eating humanely. And this requires doing some research about the brands available at your store, but if you're able to visit a farmer's market and talk to the people who grow and harvest your food, that's a great option. And I know accessibility is a really important issue, but if you do have the privilege of choosing where your food comes from, eating local is a great sustainable option. And eating what's in season can help you understand the energy of the food you're enjoying as well, and it's budget-friendly. For instance, strawberries in January taste like Icy crap. (laughs) I do not like winter strawberries. But in June, they're juicy, they're fresh, sweet, amazing, just incredible. And that's summer. That's full moon energy. It's in its true prime and it tastes so good. And that January fruit was picked far away from you, most likely. I mean, if you have seasons like we do in the Northeast anyway, and, you know, on its way to the market, it's been losing nutrients moisture and any flavor that it did have when it was picked fresh. And again, I recognize that choosing high quality ingredients is a privilege. And while it helps to understand the different energies of your ingredients, not having access doesn't mean you can't create a food-based spiritual practice. There are a lot of different ways to do it. And like I mentioned with the meat, if you're lovingly preparing a meal with conventional produce, it's okay. It's going to be fine. I just like to offer different ideas on how to approach eating as a spiritual practice and to provide information on some things to consider if you have the privilege of choice. And maybe some things work for you and some don't. And I'd also love to hear your ideas as well. Some other tips for incorporating more spirituality into your meals. You can make it a meditation. As you cook and eat, think about the end result and what you're hoping for. You know, rather than scrolling through Twitter during the meal, keep thinking about your intention and bring your focus back to it anytime your mind wanders. Or make it a sensory activity and focus on how your senses affect and are affected by the meal. So for sight, how does it look on the plate? Does it look appealing? It doesn't have to be Instagram worthy again, but it's true that a nicer presentation enhances our enjoyment of the meal. What colors do you see? How did the colors change from raw to cooked? There's a lot of different aspects that you can focus on. With smell, what are the aromas? Can you pick out anything distinct? Does it smell good? Does it smell different? Does the scent remind you of anything? Obviously, taste can be incorporated here. What flavors do you taste? Can you pick out anything specific? Do you like the way the flavors are paired together? Is there anything you'd add or subtract? Does it taste like something your grandma used to make? 
And with touch, you can think about touch, whether it's a finger food, something like chicken wings with sauce on your fingers, or the feeling of the food in your mouth. Is it crunchy, soft, hard? What's the texture like? Is it enjoyable? And you might not think sound can be a part of this, but have you ever listened to someone chew? <laughs> now, this can totally take you out of the sensory meditation if you are really averse to this. Like my sister would rather die than listen to someone else chew their food. So if that's you, maybe do this alone. <laughs> but is it crispy? Does it make a sound when you bite into it? Is it sizzling on the plate? Does the sound make you like it more or less? And you can add a sixth sense in here too, just an awareness of how it feels inside of you. Being present with your food is the most important thing in my book and something I try to work on myself. Not every meal is going to be this perfectly mindful, meditative event, and that's fine. But cultivating an awareness around food and around what we eat is so key for our relationship to food. And even more so if you want to create a spiritual practice around it. And so leaning into this sixth sense after you eat it, what sensations do you feel? Are you content, overly full, energized, lethargic? Do you feel satisfied with what you had or do you wish you had something else? This can be a good exercise to do with kids too to help them learn about mindful eating and being present and to appreciate food more, especially if you put a lot of hard work into it. These damn kids don't appreciate anything, right? So this can be an easy way to get them to maybe unconsciously appreciate it. But it can be fun to go around the table and talk about what they taste and smell and hear. Now that's pretty elaborate, so maybe you want to take it down a notch and just think about the origins of your food. As you prepare your meal, think about where it might have been grown, who planted it, who harvested it, who learned everything they needed to learn to create this food from scratch for you. In your recipe, where did the recipe come from? Is it part of a traditional cuisine? Did your mother teach you a technique that you're using? Did a hot grocery store employee put it on the shelf? Did your favorite chef put it in their cookbook? You can honor all the people involved by quietly or even out loud thanking all those involved in bringing the food to your plate. And now I'm more of a solo practitioner when it comes to my spirituality, but not when it comes to food. I love to cook for people and I love to share with friends and family. It's definitely one of my love languages. So sharing with the people you love can be part of your practice too. Although keep in mind, it is definitely unethical to cook something for someone and infuse certain intentions into it without them knowing, so don't do that. Everything should be consensual. But what is totally ethical is putting your heart and soul into a beautiful meal for your friends in the hopes that they'll be full and happy, maybe even a little impressed with your kitchen skills. And sharing meals with the people you love is a magical experience in itself. And also, this includes snapping a pic for Instagram. Be proud of your hard work and then tag me because I want to see it. <laughs> and one thing I really miss as I record this during the pandemic is my friend Mia's tea parties. Hi, Mia, if you're listening. I miss you. I feel like that's an annual ritual, making these cute little sandwiches and cookies and displaying them on cake stands and decorative plates and sharing tea with friends, spending a nice afternoon together, posting pictures on the internet of how cute it all is. Ugh. I miss it. Oh, I just thought of something. This can add a whole other layer to getting together with friends, and that's adding some color magic in there. 
Sarah Potter. She's I am Sarah Potter on Instagram. She's the best. She's a professional witch, tarot reader, all around sparkly rainbow of a human. She was a guest on my other podcast, Self Care for Cycles, last year, and she told us how she has color magic dinner parties with her friends, and they all bring a dish based on the energy they want to bring to the group, and they use color to do that. So that's something you can do next time we're able to gather and have tea parties and have dinner parties. It's such a great idea and sounds like so much fun. I definitely want to do that in the after times if they ever come. And then one final tip I have for you here is don't get too precious about this. (laughs) You don't have to make an elaborate ceremony out of every meal. Maybe for you, it's heating up some Trader Joe's frozen gnocchi in the air fryer while lighting a candle before you sit down and eat. And also, by the way, that is the best way to make that in my opinion, air fryer all the way. Or maybe you bless each ingredient before you chop it up. Maybe you forget about it most days of the week, but Fridays you focus on that deeper dinner ritual. This can look however you want it to look. I just offer all of these ideas as considerations to fit more spirituality into your everyday life. So let me know what you like to do. Maybe one day we can get together for a virtual, spiritually delicious dinner party. So that's what I have for you today. I would love to hear your ideas. I would love to hear the kinds of things that you do if you are a kitchen witch, if you incorporate food or eating into your spiritual practice. And this episode is supported by my mini guide, Syncing with the Moon for a Better Flow. It's all about the lunar cycle and the menstrual cycle and how you can work with them in harmony with some recommendations for self-care and nutrition for each phase. So you can get started on a cyclically guided life and reduce your period symptoms and feel better. That's all I want for you. You can download that at goodwitchkitchen.net slash flow. I get so many emails from people who have downloaded this guide. Over a thousand people have downloaded it since the summer. And I get a ton of emails from people telling me how it's helped their period. It's helped them feel better. It's helped them see that there's a whole other way to live and I read every single one of your emails and I do respond and I put them in my little happy folder because they make me so so happy and they are never TMI a lot of you think it's TMI but I I'll read all about your period (laughs) so feel free download that let me know what you think and thank you so much for listening see you next week Thank you for listening to The Lunar Body. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email me at thelunarbody at gmail.com or find me on Instagram at goodwitchkitchen. If you liked what you heard today, I'd love for you to leave a review on iTunes. My love language is words of affirmation, so you know I'll appreciate it on a deep soul level, but it also helps amazing lunar, lovely feminists like you find my show. Thank you so much. Until next time.